0: Our our last service together, 2019, come on, what a good year. Just just a little prompting, too, you know, next Saturday Saturday for us is a a longstanding tradition. I think we've been doing it for more than 10 years now. Uh, It's an annual sharing service for us that years ago... Uh, We really felt like God just prompted our heart to make the first service of the new year a time uh, during the the sermon portion for people to just, just a couple of minutes, just to take turns, just sharing about uh, what God has done in their in their life this past year, and so that's become just a, a celebrated welcome tradition. So I just want to encourage you in that way to be thinking about that as you come next week, that you can come ready to share a little something about what God's been doing uh, in your life and in your heart. So uh, as part of this series too, we've been doing a little bit of a uh, of, of a meme challenge on social media. And uh, so I've, I've picked, uh, you know, we've been doing our, our favorite one each week, and then I've been doing a giveaway. So since it's our last week, I've, I've got three I picked. So uh, I, I want to do a couple of honorable mentions, and then I'll, I'll give the winner to the coveted City Life Turf. So this is, this is my first honorable, this is the four stages of life. You believe in Santa, you don't believe in Santa, you are Santa, and then you look like Santa. So, all right, that's my first honor. All right, this is my next honorable mention, right? How it feels when you take down your tree and decorations right? is that not true? You take your decorations down to like, everything's like somebody came in and stole all your, all your furniture. This is, all right, this is the one I still have. This is like a stay-at-home parent talking to Santa for what they want for Christmas. I want a magical unicorn for Christmas. Santa says, be realistic. You say, okay, I want five minutes to myself each day to drink my coffee and to pee in peace. Santa says, okay, what color unicorn would you like? So that's for, is Christian Rosmondo in here? Is she in here? Yeah, she's in the back. All right, those are for Christian Rosmondo. Merry Christmas. Get the coveted cup. There you go. Thank you. So good. So our series, Prepare the Way, that we've been in. This might be the shortest series that we've ever done. Just a little three-week Christmas series that we've been working through together if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter three, and I'm going to start in verse one. These first three verses has kind of been the text that uh, we've been working out of together. Matthew chapter three. It says, "In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, "Repent of your sins." Turn to God for the kingdom if heaven is near. Each one of our weeks has been an exploration into each one of these commands. Verse 3 says, The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Now, this is the thought that we've been looking at each week that Jesus, He is our King, traveling from heaven to earth. To be with us, to rescue us, to save us. And John the Baptist is reminding us that the work of preparing our hearts for his arrival is no small task. It's why he connects it prophetically to Isaiah when it talks about mountains being brought low, valleys being filled or exalted, the crooked straight and the rough places plain. It's it's part of what God is saying to you and me is, is preparing our own hearts for the coming of Christ. It's hard work and sometimes feels impossible. And this idea of preparing your heart for the coming of Christ isn't just about the first time He comes when you make a vow of devotion to Him or what we like to say, you take your first spiritual breath or what you find in John chapter 3, the phrase of being born again, that preparing the way for Christ is a lifelong journey. The geography of the heart is vast. And Jesus wants to travel into every part of who we are. And for each of us, we let Him in deeper and deeper at different times and seasons based on the trust that we find with him and the surrender that we're willing to give and what we saw in this series and what we're going to finish up with tonight is each one of these commands that were given is expressed uniquely through the christmas narrative that there are three epic journeys that we find in the Christmas story. There are the magi that come from the east. That's what we did last week, which is a picture of what it means in Scripture when John the Baptist said the kingdom of heaven is near. What we find is that when Jesus' family escaped to Egypt, that this was a Picture for us of what it means to repent of your sins. And then tonight, as we look at Jesus' family coming out of Egypt, going to Nazareth, that this for us illustrates the command for you and I to turn to God. So, this is kind of what gets us started for tonight. Let me share this thought with you. The holiness of God demands justice. Let me read that again. The holiness of God demands justice. In God's economy, Death is the currency of forgiveness. Death is the currency of forgiveness. Grace is not the act of ignoring sin, but rather allowing a substitutionary death to bear its consequence. Let me say that again. Grace is not the act of ignoring sin. Grace doesn't mean look the other way. Grace means that we allow a substitutionary death to bear its consequence consequence. Genesis 3.21, right in the beginning of the story of mankind and the history of creation, we find the first moment where something has to die because someone has done something wrong. Genesis 3.21, it says, the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now, was this to meet a practical need? Sure it was, but everything in the Old Testament is God telling a story about the coming of Christ, and here, when these animals were first slain, the first death in, 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 in the natural world was a sacrifice because their nakedness is a picture for us for the nakedness of our soul, for the sinfulness of man. And that that sin has to be covered and it comes by way of grace, but grace does not come without a sacrifice. Here we have in the beginning Jesus, his death. And the great covering of the sins of humanity being foretold right in the beginning of time that someone must die for sin to be covered. You can download these notes. We offer these to you through our website each week. I'm not going to read all of these for the sake of time, but in Exodus 12, 5-7, 12-14, through, 7, 12 through 14, and also Leviticus 4, 22-26 are all examples as we move through the story of the Old Testament as we're Time is marching forward to the coming of Christ. We find this idea of a substitutionary death until finally centuries pass. John the Baptist is preaching in the desert. Jesus, now 30 years of age, beginning to step in to his public ministry. And as he steps into the crowd, we find here in John 29 and 30, John the Baptist makes this declaration about him. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am because he existed long before me. This is important. This is what sets Jesus Christ apart from every other religious leader who promises a way to God. Because he's the only one who lived in heaven before he came to earth and goes back there. The preexistence of Christ is what sets him apart from anyone else. And here, when John the Baptist some 2,000 years ago was standing in this crowd of predominantly Jewish people And he makes the declaration that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was speaking to them in their own cultural language. He was speaking to them in their own religious expression that they had grown up, and every generation before them had grown up in a religious practice of a substitutionary death for the covering of sin. And he was saying that this is what Jesus Christ is going to do for all the world Matthew 2:19 to 23 the christmas story our last epic journey it says when herod died an angel of the lord appeared in a dream to joseph in egypt get up the angel said take the child and his mother back to the land of israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead so joseph got up returned to the land of israel with jesus and his mother But when he learned that the ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in another dream, he left for the region of Galilee, so the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And then we have Matthew here giving some commentary, helping us to understand that everything about the life of Christ fulfilled all of the prophecies that came about him. It says, this fulfilled what the prophet said, he will be called a Nazarene. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that makes it possible for you and I to live out in reality what this journey to Nazareth illustrates prophetically. When Jesus is leaving, Egypt. We talked about this earlier in the series that Egypt in the Bible is an is a, is a image of, of, of mankind living in rebellion to God. It comes from when the Israelites were being delivered out of Egypt and then they wanted to go back. It's illustrating human nature always trying to go back to our past sin and sort of forward to the promised land of relationship with God and Israel represents illustrates for us in scripture what it means to be to live in a place of 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 in 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 deference to who God is and who he asks us to be So when Jesus is leaving Egypt with his family and coming back to Israel, it's supposed to be an illustration for at some point you and I have to begin a journey to say, I don't want to live my life apart from God. I want to live it in communion with him. I want to live it in deference to him. I want to live my life walking towards him and not running away from him. And it's because of Jesus' death on the cross 2,000 years ago that that journey is even possible. We cannot make that journey without grace. We cannot make that journey without the hope of forgiveness. There is no possibility of intimacy with God unless there is first a sacrifice that Jesus himself made for you and I. You know, the message that we talk about here as a church and have for some time is heaven now, heaven forever. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to you. That's the heaven forever. That's why we spell that with a capital H. But the heaven now is with a lowercase h. That's talking about fulfillment and meaningfulness in this life. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is waiting for you. But the journey towards life with God is just getting started and it's a lifetime of work. Are you preparing the way for Him? So what does it look like to turn to God? For these last couple of weeks, we've been saying in order to prepare the way for Christ to find his way into every area of our life, for our whole life in fullness to be lived out in submission to him completely, to move out of this compartmentalized Christianity that so many of us suffer under, we've got to be willing to repent of our sin, we've got to be able to walk in this idea of the kingdom of heaven is near, it's not just a declaration, it's a command, and then tonight, this idea, we've got to be willing to turn to God, and turning to God is practical, there's work to be done. We're going to be talking a lot tonight about our Praxis booklet that we give out. It's free. See somebody in a blue shirt if you don't have one? They'll give it to you. It talks about what discipleship is for us. In the end, turning to God is devoting yourself to a life of being a disciple. It's following after Christ into relationship with God and his purpose for you here on this earth. John fourteen fifteen reads this way. If you believe in me, Jesus says, obey my commandments. It's the beginning of parenting, right? That's what we teach our children. If you really love me, you will do what I say. And if not, you will be punished. Hello, Parenting 101, that's for free. Just throwing that in tonight if you got kids. Right? No, no. It's, just, it's, it's this idea. We understand, right? Jesus is not saying to you and me, do what I say because he's a tyrant and a dictator. See, poor parenting is being a tyrant and a dictator. It's it's just wanting your kids to do what you say because you want your life to be easier. That's not parenting. That's not parenting. Wanting your kids to do what you say because you're trying to help them understand the wisdom and judgment of good choices, and because you're nurturing in their heart a desire for virtue, that's good parenting. Because you want there to be Peace in your home. See, good parenting demands obedience, not because you're a dictator, but because you're trying to create alignment in your home by getting everybody on the same page. When Jesus says to you and to me, if you'll love me, you'll keep my commandments, it's not because he's a tyrant and a dictator. It's because Jesus understands that until you walk in obedience to him, you will never walk in intimacy with him. If death is the currency of forgiveness, commonality is the currency of intimacy. We cannot have a sense of closeness with God until our hearts are aligned with him. So Jesus demands of us obedience, not because he's got an ego, but because he's got the biggest heart that's ever been created. He's inviting us into alignment with the kingdom. He's inviting us into intimacy with the Father. And he's saying that if you're not willing to yield to him, we will never experience the fullness of closeness with our creator that's humanly possible he does not demand obedience to us because he's angry at us because he's frustrated with us because he just wants a moment of peace he calls us to obedience because he wants us to experience and to be satisfied at the very depth of our greatest need as a human being and that's intimacy with god So we teach here, they're in this book, Jesus' six commands. In fact, I believe and teach that all of Christianity flows from these very six commands that Jesus gives. Again, I'm just going to reference them for the sake of time. I'm not going to read each one individually, but the first one we see is follow Jesus. None of this is possible without first making a vow of devotion to Him. So we express this idea of, following Jesus as devotion to Christ, mean devoting ourselves to him above all else. John 1.43, we see an example of Jesus calling some disciples. He says to them, come and follow me. At some point, Jesus says to you and I for the very first time, follow me. And we have a choice that we have to make. For me, that was in December of 1990. I talk about it often. That's a moment where I chose to follow Christ. And then you have to choose to follow him every day for the rest of your life. The second command is to love God. We find it in Matthew 22, 37, when someone came and said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because intimacy with God is part of the kingdom. You've got to be willing to love people. John 13, 34, where Jesus says, love others the way that I have loved you. He started on the day that they said the two greatest commandments. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said love your neighbor as yourself. And then that same week he said, no, no, I'm going to give you a new command. And he upped the ante. He said, no, I don't want you to just love people the way that you want to be loved. I want you to love people the way that I've loved you. It's a whole different standard. We've got to be willing to care for other people to the depth and degree that Christ has cared for us. See, these are the things that define the culture of the kingdom of heaven. People who are devoted to Christ, people who are pursuing intimacy with God, people who are willing to care for one another at their own expense. And then we get to Matthew 5.48 when he says, Be ye therefore perfect, the capstone of the beginning of the greatest sermon ever preached and the Sermon on the Mount. Now you and I are never going to be perfect, but Jesus says, Don't ever stop reaching for it. We call it your Matthew 5.48 priority. Have something that you're working on. Have the courage to change. Don't settle for mediocrity of your day. Matthew 28, 19. Does it just say 28, 19? It does, doesn't it? That's a little quiz for you. I should have asked somebody and done a giveaway with that, huh? Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Jesus says, hey, don't keep all this to yourself. Tell the world. Diligence and mission. Acts one receive power, equipped by the Holy Spirit. You, you, you see what Jesus is doing here? He's creating alignment amongst his people. He's saying to you and to me, let's all give our lives to these six things because these six things matter to God. These six commands are the bearings of life, the coordinates, if you will, the ultimate measure of whether or not you are on the journey from Egypt to Israel. Are you turning to God? Are you preparing the way? So when you look at these six, it gives you an opportunity to ask yourself, are these the six things that stir my heart beyond anything else? Even more than sweet tea and Krispy Kreme donuts. Come on. There has to be some things in your life that you say, these are more important to me than anything. You might say, "Whoa, Fred, that's, be careful. My marriage is important. I would say it should be. Being a parent is important. I would say it should be. But what I would say to you, if these six things are not more important to you than those things, then you will never be the parent and you will never be the spouse that you could be. Because when you align your heart with God, you're ready to now align yourself with people. And without the one, you cannot and will not have the other. Six Commands. If I'm going to obey six commands, then I've got to be willing to walk in twelve pathways. Even Pastor David's F word of Christianity. Jeremiah six sixteen. Love this verse. It says, "Thus says the Lord." This is out of the New American Standard. It says, "Stand by the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths." See, there's some things in this life that are timeless. To stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths. That's why we, call, we don't call them spiritual disciplines. Although they are, we call them pathways because of this text, because these things take us somewhere. Where do they take us? They take us into the six commands and into a life in alignment with the heart of God. It says, where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your soul. Why? Because rest ultimately comes from being at peace with God. You will find rest for your soul. And then they said, we will not do it. Don't let that be the story of your life. He lays it out for us. He gives us this invitation. It's through the death of his own son that he even makes it possible. And so oftentimes we still say, no, I'm not interested. It cost him everything. Cost him everything. And the prize is ours. Will we not walk in it? So this is our list. These are our 12 pathways. Scripture and prayer and fasting and worship, relationship and reaching and gathering and accountability, service and rest and generosity and stewardship. In this book, again, this is free. We talk about these 12 things, what they are. We give you scripture references for each of them. We teach you how to assess your life to know whether or not these 12 pathways are something that you're walking in. If you give your life to these 12 pathways, obedience to the six commands is unavoidable. And you might say, well, Fred, which one of these connects to which one of those? And I would say all of them. Each of them in their own right, in their own way, lead you into fulfilling each of the six commands. I'm going to reference some people here. This is always dangerous because there's so many more people we could reference, but I'm just going to throw out these three, but we could have had a list of ten times this many. But there are people in our church who are examples of this for us. As I was working on this message over the last couple of weeks, I just had such a sense of gratitude in my heart that we have this incredible community that we share with each other. And these things that we talk about and teach about every Saturday that we're so passionate about, I'm so thankful that we can look out into our congregation and see each other and see people that are actually doing it. You want to see some people that these 12 pathways are central to who they are and are defining for us what it means to walk in alignment with the six commands, you spend some time with Stephen Laurie Ruggiero. Elders in our church, spend some time with them. You, can, you cannot spend time with them and not realize that there is a sense of a closeness with God that, we, that they share. Through all their pains, through all their struggles, through all their victories, all their relationships, Life groups that they lead, counseling that they do in their home. They're living it out. How about Doug and Chrissy Facile? Come on. They're traveling, they're not here. They may be watching on the live stream right now. Hey Doug and Chrissy. Faithfully leading life groups, especially the military, life group to military families. Doug, a a Navy diver things that he saw and the trauma that he's wrestled with that he openly talks about as part of his journey, how they're able to come along, uh, military families, and the struggles, that, the uniqueness of the struggles that they face, they can say, we know what it's like because they've been there themselves. How they've overcome, how the character of Christ is so present in their life. This is who they are. You follow them around these 12 pathways, this is what they live for. How about Ryan and Mae Nicholson? Come on. They are precious people. Their story, their journey, what they've endured in life. We joke sometimes were they, they went with us to the um, conference last year at, at, uh, at Elam and uh, they've, they've been a, Ryan's been a couple of times, I think it might have been May's first time, and, and Vanessa and I remember being at the, the, at the hotel and just talking about the team that was with us, some staff, some, some volunteers, and, and, and we were talking about Ryan and May. We were like, do you ever think they've said a harsh word to each other ever in their whole life? <laughs> right? Now, I, I'm sure they have, maybe once. <laughs> they are two of the kindest, most compassionate Gentle, faithful, loyal people that you could ever meet. Salt of the earth they are. Right? We could, just, we could keep going with this list. We don't want to be a church that just talks about it. We want to be a church that lives it out. If you're looking for a church, whether or not it's this church or not, that's not what matters to us. But what I would say to you, Spend some time there. Make sure that what they're talking about is being lived out through the people that are leading. All right, how about a little participation moment? We like a little participation here at the City Life Church. How, how about things, maybe even Christmas gifts that were given when you think about what you got, similar when you were a child, that represent some massive technological advancement or change? You raise your hand, I'll point to you. Somebody, over here. What's that? PlayStation. Yeah, PlayStation. I know. How many of you grew up with an Atari? Yeah. We were mesmerized by a little dot that bounced from one side of the screen to the other. Somebody else. Steve, did you have your hand up? Your Lord had it. iPad. iPad, yeah. How about devices that we have? Somebody else over here, Dave. AirPods. AirPods, yeah. EarPods. AirPods. AirPods? I don't even know what they're called. But they don't even have wires on them anymore. I know, it's witchcraft, but we use them. Somebody else? Somebody else had a hand up? Anybody in the middle? All right, I'm going around the back. Danielle? Yes? DVD players? Upgrade for the VCR? The blinking clock that you could never figure out how to change? Daniel? iPod Nano. Yes? Come on. Somebody else? Oh, Xavier? iPod touch. It's all about the technology, right? Stan? Yeah, thumb drives, storing data, computers. Marcus? Phones. And today's your birthday, is it not? I know. How about how about a little Starbucks? A little Starbucks. It's, it's Christmas every week at the City Life Church. Okay, I've got a little... Technological advancement I'm sharing from my past, but I think I might need some RC volunteers. Let's see how many volunteers I need. One, two, three, four, five. I'll take not 10 volunteers. Any RCers? Anybody bold enough? Do I have 10? Do I have 10 youth? Are there 10 people here that will be counted? It's like the Fellowship of the Rings. How many are coming? How many? Do I have 10? Take one of these. And you guys get in a line right here on the steps. Oh, no, you've you got to participate. See, you don't know what you're volunteering for, but that's how we do it here at the City Life Church. All right. Don't put that mint in your mouth yet. Don't do it. All right, I got three more. Three others. Oh, come on, Landon. Anybody else? Two more? Two more youth? All right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to let you experience the 80s. Alright, everybody open their mouth. You gotta trust the pastor. Oh, oh open up. Oh. Oh. oh! 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 You come you 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 oh. that's so great! Here we go, here we go. Oh come on! How about a hit round of applause for some of you volunteers? Nice. How many of you grew up knowing what this is? Where where are my children of the high school in the 80s? Okay, how how many of you went in the 80s went to a high school dance? Oh, come on! Don't be shy! And you had one of these in your pockets. Because you were hopeful. Yeah! (laughs) You know what I'm talking about! Little Mm -hmm, on the dance floor. Now, of course, our youth are not going to use it for that same purpose. (laughs) What they're going to use it for are for their parents when you come at them with coffee breath in the morning. So just be prepared. You might get a little one of these in the mouth. Right? There's all kinds of ways that history has moved forward to help us have fresh breath in all kinds of moments, right? Gum and mints, the... Banaca Blast. I don't even know why this still isn't a thing. It's awesome. The kids are like, that tastes terrible. It's okay if it tastes bad, but it makes your breath smell good. But there are some things in this life that they're never going to change because they were perfect when God created them. From the very first moment in time where someone prayed for the very first time until... Today, prayer has not changed. It's about a human being opening their heart in a moment of vulnerability to their creator. Either in a declaration of praise or a cry of despair, it is prayer and it has not changed. The wisdom of scripture, it does not change. Now, the ways in which these things come to us, sure, the way in which we read our Bible today by turning there or turning something on compared to flipping there and thumbing through pages for decades, we understand that the methodology or the means by which it comes, the kind of music that we sing, it's different than the kind of music that inspired worship 2,000 years ago. But the pathway, it's unchanged, it's timeless. It is timeless. The means of pathways may continue to innovate, but at their very essence, these ancient pursuits are timeless. So I'm asking you tonight, are you preparing the way? Are you preparing the way? for Christ to find His way into every area of your heart? Are you aligning yourself with these six commands through the pursuit of these 12 pathways? Because when you walk in the 12, you obey the six, and something begins to happen inside of you. You begin to become the 24. All of a sudden, transformation begins to take place in your heart, and virtue begins to grow in you, that you and especially sometimes others thought were impossible. There's a little chapter in this book for each of these things that we're talking about tonight. Let me read this quote from Blaise Pascal who lived from 1623 to 1662. The strength of a man's virtue, or we could say the strength of a woman's virtue, should not be measured by his or her special exertions, but by his habitual acts. Me- meaning, what really defines you at the end is not your best moment or not your worst moment, is what, what what characterizes you in life. These things should characterize you and I. Philippians 4:8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I think Paul here was talking about virtue. Are you contemplating this idea of the person that God's created you to be? Give yourself to these thoughts. We have 24 virtues that we Write about in this book, and that we teach about here at church. It comes from what we call the five great growth lists that were identified for us by one of the great modern day theologians of our time, Dr. George Wood. Again, I'm not going to read them all for the sake of time, but I just want to introduce you to them if they're new to you. Again, we talk about them in this book. It's Matthew 5, 3 through 10, the Sermon on the Mount. Then you've got Romans 12, 9 to 21. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, which is the explanation of love. Galatians 5, to 23, the fruit of the Spirit. This is one of the challenges, right that we think of Galatians 5:22 to23 as the only fruit of the spirit, but it's not. It's part of a much bigger list. And, and the bigger list are these five great growth lists. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, and and as we looked at these years ago, and and we had a team of people working on this discipleship model, and we took out all the overlap and modernized some of the language, we, we found what we thought are 24 virtues that come out of these five great growth lists that give us the portrait of the character of Christ. You cannot have intimacy without commonality. Now, we talked about that in the context with God, but God doesn't just want us to have intimacy with Him. He wants us to have intimacy with each other. And if the six commands and the 12 pathways are about aligning our heart with God, virtue is about aligning ourselves with one another. God doesn't need you to be virtuous to be close to Him. But I guarantee you for the rest of your life, if you don't chase after virtue, you will be lonely in this world when it comes to relationships with people. See, one of the reasons we're called to the character of Christ is because it creates the commonality, the commonality of character that makes relationships with people possible, relationships that are deep. Jesus' hope Is that the same oneness we find with God will also be found with one another? Character is the commonality that we crave. And you might say, well, Fred, if everybody was a person of character, wouldn't that make the world a boring place? And the answer is no, because there's still diversity that comes through personality and and cultural norms and ethnicity and life experience and passions and ambitions and vocations. Who who ever said, you know, Fred, I just, my neighborhood, I just appreciate the diversity of my neighborhood because, you know, the person across the street lies all the time. It just makes our neighborhood better, makes it diverse. Nobody. Nobody says that you take the opposite of all of these virtues none of those things bring good to life ever character is something that forms in us when we begin to pursue a life of spiritual health and well-being and all of a sudden as we begin to transform and change as these virtues begin to grow inside of us What we begin to find is relationships with people go deeper and farther and more meaningful. The Bible calls us to harmony with one another because God expects us to experience intimacy in community through commonality of character. Here it comes. Unfortunately, Too many Christians today are more concerned with being right in dispute instead of being righteous in relationship. Let me say it again. Too many Christians today are more concerned with being right in dispute instead of being righteous in relationship. Are you preparing the way? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. Matthew 3, 1 through 3. We're going to finish as we started. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching his message Repent of your sins, turn to God. The kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, as people come to the altar to prepare themselves to pray with others who are here, God, we just, we still our hearts. We still our hearts. So that in, in moments like this, even though we are, are many in this room, it would be for us as if we are the only one present. And that we would be able to just pause. And that we'd be able to just slow things down for a minute. And listen with an ear that is on the inside that you created us with to know your voice with a heart that can feel your presence. It may be for each of us as we leave 2019 in just a few days and head into 2020 that we would be willing to ask ourselves this honest question. Are there any areas of our lives, Jesus, that we've not invited you into yet? And may it be that something tonight or through something of this series has given people the courage to prepare the way. As hard as it might seem, as afraid as we might be, God, help us. Breathe life into us so that courage and trust would come, that we would invite you in to even the darkest of places of our hearts, that you might bring the light and the healing and the hope that only you have in christ's name let's worship together if you need someone to pray with you there are people here at the front